Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 111. I'm your host, Eric Moore. Today, we're going to be talking about the federal deficit. Does it matter? Uh, modern monetary theory, we'll touch on that a little bit. But I, you know, we often get questions about, uh, especially when politicians start talking about you know, adding to the debt, spending, taxes. Actually, what do we spend money on? What's the real revenue and some surprising other things? And back on the program uh, to help me unwind all this is Spencer Wright from Halbert Wealth. Uh, you might remember Spencer from two episodes we did right before the election. We also did one with some surprising data on the market performance, depending upon the party in power. Uh, Spencer, this is uh, guest appearance number three. Welcome back. Hello, Derek. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the Broken Pie Chart. Thank you, Spencer. And and uh, I will say, I have to give credit, as probably you will, to uh, Professor Littman's 13 keys or 12 keys, right? Um, yep. He predicted Biden would be president, and it was right. So good, good for him, right? Yeah, he's he seems to be on quite a roll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, and the the other interesting thing is, we want to get to our episode, but remember, we did point out that um, with the Georgia runoffs, you and I talked right before that, mm-hmm. and in over a hundred years, at least in the data that we had, there was not a Republican president, uh, sorry, a Democratic president, Republican Senate, and a Democratic House. I had to go Correct. back to Grover Cleveland, and we do not have that now. So that's right. So we'll save things, the. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Things things played out uh, uh, the way the numbers historically said they should have played out. That's uh, right. So that's right. Uh, the, everything reverted to the long term trend, and here we are. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, in probably a year to do our midterm <laughs> special. <laughs> Can't believe. All right. So let, let's get into this. And I think I think this is interesting because you know a lot of times you hear about the debt, you hear about deficits, and you hear politicians from both sides making claims about mm-hmm. their bill reducing the deficit. But all right, like 2021, there's a federal budget. And mm-hmm. the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, comes out with these things. What the heck do we spend money on, Spencer? Take us through that. Well, if you look at the um, the total spending for 2021, we're looking at about $6.9 trillion. <laughs> Staggering. $6.9. It's a lot of money. $6.9 trillion. Now, where does all that money go? Well, um, you have non-defense discretionary spending of about $1.349 uh, trillion, and that's 20% of uh, spending. You have Social Security. People seem to be fond of that at $1.136 uh, trillion, and that's about 17%. Uh, Medicare and Medicaid, people would argue, very necessary, uh, 1.355 uh, trillion, again, roughly 20%. You have other, which is quite a broad category, other, uh, if you were doing your, your budget at home and you had an other, uh, the other category uh, is 
unsurprisingly, 1.975 trillion or 29% of the total budget. And of course, we have to pay the interest on all the money we're borrowing to fund this level of spending. Now, so far, that's only about $303 billion, a 4% of the total um, budget, uh, which against these other incredibly large figures seems pretty small uh, until you realize we're talking about um, hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars, and then it, it, it's just hard to fathom. Uh, but that's where the money goes, more or less. Now, what's interesting to me is two things. What is categorized in other, considering that's where, on a percentage basis, um, a lot of the money goes. It seems to be kind of a black hole. And um, we're borrowing so much money to fund this level of spending, um, that level of interest we're paying seems one would could argue if you were in favor of this level of spending, well, that's not so bad. Only 4% of the GDP being paid toward um, interest payments on debt accrued. Yeah, I think... I think we're going to have to delve into that a little bit more. Let's come back to it because that is an interesting area. And I think people might be surprised that the debt's gone up. The actual net interest payments have gone down. Um, other category, I guess, you know, we'll call that the discretionary budget, right? If it was a personal budget, it's, you know, running shoes, uh, in and out burger, you know, whatever. Right. But, but they, they plow Netflix. everything in there from... Yeah, your Netflix, but you know that's discretionary, right? So uh, the federal government might decide to, you know, give money to a museum or, you know, a, a bridge to nowhere or somewhere. Um, but you mentioned borrowing, and uh, I'll, I'll just think about you know what where do we get our revenue? And so we have our our spending, which you covered the revenue. We take in about one point three trillion. Social Security, you know the payroll, the payroll tax. Uh, we take in corporate taxes, uh, about 164 billion. Most of the taxes, by the way, and this is—I know everyone says we should raise the corporate income tax, raise the corporate income tax. Uh, that may or may not be a good idea, but um, it's actually only two percent of our revenue. Most of it is—it trickles down to individuals, and then we have just you know personal income taxes, which is about 1.6 trillion, and then other. Other could be, you know, things like tariffs. So we borrow, at least in the 21 CBO uh, forecast, we only take in 50% of the money we're forecasted to spend. We're going to borrow 3.4 trillion, which is 50%. That's so, just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wacky, right? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. you know, who, who does their books like that? Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you ever watched the the movie, remember the movie Dave? Uh, yes. President? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Charles yeah. Grodin, his buddy, he brings in the his buddy, the accountant, uh, to look at the the federal government books. He's like, "Who does these books? Who does this? This doesn't make any sense." <laughs> so, yeah. So that so we get in money, we spend money, and let's. Before we talk about the, the interest payments, because I think that's an interesting mm -hmm. thing. Well, actually, let's, let's mm -hmm. go there now. So, Spencer, right now, $303 billion, our national mm -hmm. debt is around 
you know, 20 trillion, right? 21 trillion. Sure. So that's higher than it's been in past years. But in my numbers that I dug up when I wrote my book, I think, you know, going back to 2008, it was like $450 billion was the interest that we owed on the debt. Right. So, but Spencer, interest rates are much lower now. How low yes. are they? Like, what's the average that we pay? And what does that mean if interest rates ever go up? Right. Well, if you look at just average rates, like total marketable average rates um, are low. They're very low. It's about 1.49% uh, compared to last year being around 2 and change, 2.2%, which was still low, but this is lower yet. Uh, and you've got total you know, non-marketable rates um, on you know non 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 exchangeable securities, non exchangeable paper, of about one point six five percent versus about two point two. So rates are much lower, and historically, um, you know, people say, "Well, this is the lowest rates have uh, have ever been," and you know, rates have to return to some you know some norm. Uh, and when people say that, they look at you know five six percent. Um, 7% maybe even looking back into the early 90s and late 80s as being some sort of historical norm. But I'm not sure that's true. I mean, I'll give you some numbers here. Uh, 2008, uh, the average that the Treasury paid, interest on U.S. Treasuries was about 4%. It's been a little bit north of 2% since, uh, you know, 2009. And then... You know, 2001, it was 6%, 5% in 2007. Um, we, we just said, you know, the, the debts around, and I say around because there's, in, in, there's debt held by the public, then there's debt that's not held by the public, right? You know, the Social Security theoretically holds treasuries, but we owe it to ourselves. But let's just use $21 trillion. You know, if, if interest rates went to 6%, you're talking about uh, 1.26 trillion dollars in interest we pay. At least the CBO says 303 billion. To put that in perspective, too, if interest rates with this amount of debt, all things being equal, and they never are, assuming the debt stays constant, uh, you would have net interest payments be greater than our total Social Security spending and almost as much as Medicaid. Um, our, and it would be basically you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it'd be pretty big for sure. I mean, that, that would be somewhere, I mean, you're talking about going from where it is like 4% right now, um, at a 6% rate, you're looking at, what is that close to 20%, 18, 20%, something in that range. It, right about 18%. Yeah. So we'd go from three, yeah, 4% to, to 18%. Three, three and a half times increase. The good news is rates are lower. Um, I think outside the scope of, of this broadcast, because we'll, we don't want to get too far in the weeds on this. But when you look at to get to that average rate, that assumes that they are not borrowing at thirty years. Um, they're they're probably borrowing as, as I think you you've pointed out maybe on the one to ten year treasuries. Right. I mean, there's been 
Now, people, I think when they when they think about the government debt and that giant number, which is just hard to get anyone's, you just can't get your head around it. But you think about that number, was like, well, you know, all that's out thirty years. Well, that that absolutely isn't true. And the fact of the matter is that um, you know the government uh, has been moving away from thirty year issuance, and they, it's it's all it's ten years and less. So most of that number is at ten years and less. The people holding those thirty year instruments are institutions, you know, sovereign uh, entities. Um, you know, there, there's not there's not a lot of new. I don't think if any new thirty year issuance. It's all ten years and and, mo- and mostly one and two years. It's it's small, and I and I think the point is that bringing this up is a lot of people think well the government's good on them. They've locked in low rates for the next thirty years. People have said let's issue a fifty dollar fifty dollar fifty year note. Uh, but as you know, if you if you're not going to pay off the debt, you have to take another loan as these bonds come due. And so they're they're just sort of cycling. And and here's the other thing: if we look at the federal budget surplus or deficit, um, we've got numbers in front of us, you know, going back to 1990. You know, I got news for you. Um, certainly, last year in 2020, 2021, it was forecast. It's you know, 15 percent shortfall. I got news for you. It doesn't matter what party's in power; they spend money. And only in the very late 1900s, 1990s, and, and uh, uh, you know, 2000, did the federal budget actually run a surplus? I, I mean, there's some anomalies there too, but you know, when you, we're typically about five, I'd say four percent deficit, right? Is that what you say? Uh, that's about right. Uh, we're, we're looking at uh, you know deficits. Projected forward of you know anywhere from four to nearly six percent. I mean, uh, out in the 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 twenty thirties, um, that's not good. Um, and when you have a Federal Reserve that is willing, you know, they're uh, constantly looking for that um, that uh, inflative number to uh, to appear. And Powell has said even recently that they're willing to let things run "quote unquote" hot, whatever that would be, for a period of time, uh, so that they they can get back to the the, uh, the historical mean. Well, you know, Derek, I think that historical mean number is much smaller than is commonly thought. I'd agree. I mean, I I think I think there's a couple of biases going on. There's recency bias where rates are low and they're going to be low forever. And that, that could be true or, or it could be completely, you know, incredibly wrong. The other bias is those who remember, um, and I'm, I'm one of those, as are you, sure. the 1970s, you know, the late 1970s, mm-hmm. early 80s. And there are any number of reasons. I mean, that, that's a good example of things running hot and, and the, the political will to sort of crush it, not until... Uh, you know, Volcker came in and, and raised rates precipitously or, or you know, aggressively. Right. But that was sort of an anomaly. And, and, you know, I remember pulling interest rates from the Bank of England back to, I think it was the 1500s or the 1400s. I, I don't even know how they're getting rates back then. You know, the squire at the, at the local 
ale house probably, you know, giving loans, right. but, <laughs> um, but it, it was, it was sort of, you know, like more like four to 6%, but more like two, you know, two to 6%. And there's a high correlation with inflation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think inflation based upon the CPI historically is somewhere around two and a half, you know, 3%. So I think the people who think 15% inflation is coming back, um, you know, it would have to be an anomaly like like the five or seven year period in, in the late 1970s, right? Right. I mean, there you you, you look at that and um, and other events surrounding it. Um, there were a lot of things that fed into that. There were government, one could argue, um, policy mistakes. There were global macro situations. Uh, with the energy complex that aren't going on today, there are a lot of things that drove that. And you know, today we're we're absent many of those things. And I, I agree that was the anomaly. That was the, if you will, you know, that was the four standard deviation event. Um, and to have things return to some sort of norm, I think back in uh, the fourth quarter of eighteen, when when uh, Powell and company began to to tick rates up a little bit, um, they I think were looking to restore things to around you know three percent. The market did not like that, uh, and and responded quite negatively. But um, I guess what I'm saying is, even if rates were to rise, I don't know that we would ever see rates higher than four or four and a half percent. On, on the short end, yeah. On the short on, on, on the short on, on yeah. the short end for sure, yeah. And, and and it would take and that might be I mean, Derek, that could be years from now. Yeah, and I think I don't I don't think you're wrong there. and I and I'm not I wouldn't bet my house on on trying to predict where rates are gonna go for sure. And and markets can overshoot one way or another. The thing that gets interesting here is, and maybe we'll transition to the idea. So there, there, you've probably heard talk, uh, I say you, meaning our audience, uh, about you know the idea of um, there's a lot of spending right now. Uh, President Biden has an infrastructure bill. They've got another bill. And you know, look, I thought the debt was going to be important in the 80s, and it was going to cause problems, and, and I've been wrong. Um, but the, there, there's this interesting thing is that deficits don't matter. There's something called modern monetary theory. Maybe we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But, you know, the, the federal government takes in a certain amount of revenue. And, you know, I ran some numbers and I looked at, uh, you know, generally the, the receipts that the government gets. So that's the revenue. That's like, you know, taxes and, and uh, all, all that stuff. I went back to, you know, call it the 1940s. And the interesting thing is the percent of GDP, uh, federal receipts is a, is a, a, recip, a receipt of GDP on a percentage basis. We take in roughly, you know, probably, you know, 16.5%, call, you know, round up to 17% of GDP. And the fascinating thing with that is I also, uh, the audience can't see this, but I created a chart 
the highest federal income tax rate. And this is all available on, on FRED, St. Louis Reserve Bank. And people might not realize that in 1940s, the highest marginal rate was 90%. Uh, in the 70s, 60s and 70s, I mean, it was 70%. Although, although to, to be... Fair, (laughs) yeah. To be to be fair and and transparent, uh, nobody paid a ninety percent top marginal rate, and nobody paid a seventy percent top marginal rate. Just like today, nobody really pays our top marginal rate. Agreed. It's 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 really and and if if I ever redo this, I could probably I'd want to find the effective tax rate. But I think the pink and, and it's a fair point. But the the thing I want to point out is. You know, some people say deficits don't matter. We should do deficit spending. Um, it hasn't mattered. It hasn't caused inflation. We'll touch on that later. The other is we've got to pay for these things. And, But I, I think the reality is, does it really matter what the, the tax rate is if we always bring in pretty much the same percent of GDP? And therefore, Spencer, if you want to elaborate, shouldn't we just try and grow the economy and do things that will grow that? Well, I would certainly uh, fall into that camp. What's fascinating about this illustration is that if you um, if you look at it and watch as as top line marginal rates fall, even though you know we've just said no one really pays the top line rate, but that's fine. Rates in their total aggregate have fallen precipitously from 1960, um, bottomed out around 90, and ha- have ticked up a little bit since then. But the fact that in around 1990, we're still in that mean, you know, 16 to 17% of GDP on revenues at a, uh, a top marginal rate of around, you know, 28 or 30% at its, at its trough. And that's the same, the same bang we were getting, if you will, for our taxable buck back at much higher rates in the, in the 70s, 60s, and, and, and 50s. Now, why is that? Because lowering the tax rates across the board, corporate taxes, of course, and then individual income taxes, spurred growth. And growth drives revenues. And if you are uh, a supply sider, a devotee of Mr. Laffer and his guys, you look at a chart like this and you say, yeah, look, revenues increase or at least remain steady while taxes decrease because you're creating opportunity and you're creating growth. And and this chart absolutely illustrates that. And right now, I think, uh, you know, we're at around, I guess it's maybe 40% top marginal rate. Um, And we're right in that spot of um, around 16 to 17% without any uh, tax increases that may be, you know, shortly upon us. Yeah, and so the idea is that if you do increase taxes massively, you still get the same revenue pull as a percent of GDP. The difference is GDP should not grow as much um, or you know stay stagnant. I think it's it's interesting. I mean, so generally, you know, when you think about taxes, there's a lot of punitive taxes, like taxes on cigarettes or taxes on, and they do that. I mean, they. I think they're pretty transparent about it. It's kind of like the soda tax in New York City. You wanted to reduce consumption of something, you tax it. And so, if you want to, you know, keep keeping that. If we think about the soda tax or the cigarette tax, if you want to, I mean, 
aren't you you're sort of saying I want to stop growth by by increasing taxes but I you know it, it's not the program really where we'll get into you know should we tax people should we not tax people but it's just I think it's interesting I think it's interesting to look at and I always like as you do looking at just the numbers and saying oh that's interesting I hadn't thought of that right Right, without being you know a, a policy wonk one way or the other. I mean, the numbers don't lie, and you can say, well, then is it better to have lower rates in general in an effort to spur growth than to have you know higher rates? And you know, how high can rates go if if we're okay if we're okay with revenues in this range? and we want to raise taxes, then you have to ask the question, well, what are we raising taxes for? And, and the other side of this that, that, of course, is never talked about is um, what effect, where would we be, you know, looking at this, these, these revenues, um, and of course, we use them to fund spending, and we just talked about what a huge deficit, uh, you know, we're running currently, uh, going into the current year. Um, what if spending were restrained? What if somehow the budgets were 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 balanced? You you wouldn't need. Uh, I mean, if you, if you look at this, you say, well, we can run quote unquote reasonable top marginal rates uh, and run with in growth, and and we ought to be in great shape. But of course, as you know, there's no political will anywhere in Washington D.C. to restrain spending, and. It's a football that's used when people run for office. Oh, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And, you know, our plan's better and we're going to be fiscally responsible. And no one ever is. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And, uh, you know, just looking at uh, we talked about, about 16 and a half percent based upon my numbers is is the pull from whatever the GDP is, um, which, of course, means if we're running deficits, then, you know, we're probably pulling north of 20% off of GDP, and that's that started to widen. There is talk, though, that deficits don't matter. I think this is a little bit of recency bias. But the modern monetary theory, I'm going to do a really bad job, but I want to be quick about, uh, you know, bringing this up. And modern monetary theory is the idea that deficits don't matter and deficits don't cause inflation. That was you know, long held for many years. And the idea with modern monetary theory, there's, there's, there's a lot to it. Stephanie Kelton has a book out there. Um, and she's sort of, I think she's on Biden's advisory team, but, you know, um, listening to her talk about it, the way she describes it is deficits don't matter. And what you do is instead of it's really focusing on fiscal policy as opposed to monetary policy, right? So monetary policy is, you raise or lower interest rates to to curb inflation or to increase growth. Here, the government should increase deficit spending uh, to cause growth. And then if you see inflation, the way to manage inflation is to simply raise or lower taxes. So if you see inflation going up, you raise taxes. Um, so uh, here... Here's my, I'm going to give my issue on this. I, I, I'm going to call it the fatal flaw of this is that the idea that you would reduce government spending um, when inflation rises, you know, you, you can only raise taxes so much, right? So 
they raise taxes and you pull back on spending. I think the fatal flaw is the idea that politicians in office who want to get reelected will, will reduce spending. I think that's the fatal flaw in this. Um, and there's a little recency bias, but what say you? Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, anytime you think that uh, you, 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 well, one of the linchpins of your theory is that, um, well, the folks in Washington will be good actors and will be f fiscally responsible and will reduce spending and hold the line when it's required to do so. That is absolute fantasy. It's never happened. And I don't know that it, and, and today, certainly not today or anytime I think in the near future, is it likely to happen? And so people say, do deficits matter? Well, the MMT crowd and, and, um, those who maybe aren't as keen on their theory sometimes refer to it as the magic money tree. Um, those folks point to Japan, for example, who has completely monetized their 10-year issuance. So the Bank of Japan buys every last 10-year instrument issued, fully monetized that debt. Um, that doesn't seem like a good idea or, or sustainable. At, at some point, the numbers are so large. Well, what does it matter? Japan's running, I don't know the exact number, but I want to say it's a, is it 180 or 190 percent of GDP, something like that? It, it, it's an incredibly large number. Three, I think it's 300 percent. Right? Oh, oh, is it 300 percent? Well, I, I knew it was. It could be. I, I could be making it up. I think it's over yeah. two for sure. Yeah. I'll pull it's it up a, as we're talking. It's a staggering number. It's an absolutely staggering number. Uh, we're at a hundred and change, aren't we? Like a hundred and ten or something close to that. On, on all debt, yeah, debt held yeah. by the public, I think, is a little less than a hundred. But the CBO yeah. does predict uh, it's going a hundred. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so deficits don't matter, and 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 your central policy entity, in our case, the Federal Reserve, can can monkey with rates and effectively just print money, right? We can just print more money if we need more money. Well, if that's the case, if, if that's the case, why do you need taxes at all? Well, I think that's a good question to ask because if, if deficits don't matter and you don't need to fund every, anything, one would say, why don't we just make taxes zero and then the government will just increase or decrease spending to control inflation, forget about the taxes. All right. I think both of us understand that there's there's things that um, there's a lot of political side to this that for why taxes should be raised and who who tax should be raised against. But I think it's an interesting point. If if deficits don't matter, I mean we we just laid out we're going to spend six point nine trillion. Uh, we only bring in revenue fifty percent of that. Why not just deficit spend for for all sixteen six six point nine trillion, right? Yeah, exactly. But at, at some point, I mean, even if you're a proponent of MMT, don't you have to keep up appearances? I mean, at some point, don't you have to act like you're at least thinking about maybe squaring things one day eventually? Didn't like was it Larry Summers who was uh, I think it was a President Obama or President Clinton's Treasury Secretary. Um, it was Summers, I think, that said. Larry, Larry Summers. Summers, I think he said you at yeah. least have to pretend that you're going to pay back the money at some point. 
And that right. should at least quasi restrain you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and Japan, by the way, is 238% debt to GDP. Oh, Again, okay. there's, okay. there's debt held by the public. There's, you know, it's kind of like if you borrow money from your kid and you right. owe your kid money, it's not really held by the public. It's still within your household. But anyway. Um, yeah, like, like the recent, uh, uh, one, one could argue, the recent uh, stimulus activity, whether you thought it was needed or not, uh, where'd that money come from? Well, I mean... Um, it came from the Federal Reserve, uh, and it came from your kids. Your kids just gave you some money. So, I do think, though, what's interesting is that you know when you have stimulus checks. So there, there's a. I did a whole other podcast on, you know, the universal basic income. I'll link to that and some of the ways that some people think that it will be paid for. Um, but I, I do think that that was interesting in the fact that, you know, the government, like Milton Friedman once said, if you put the federal government in charge of the Saharan desert, they'd run out of sand. Like the, the government's <laughs> not really effective at, at things. And so a lot of bureaucracy, even a lot of the programs, whether it's social security administration or, you know, and one of the proponents of the, the universal basic income, it says, well, get rid of all the the agencies just send the money to the people. When you sent the money directly to people, sure, a lot of it went to savings, some of it went to investments, uh, but people had the freedom to decide what to do with it. And but we we know that when the Federal Reserve prints money, uh, while money supply is going up, money velocity is continues to drop. And yes, it goes to to assets like like the stock market and real estate, but that really hasn't in the past, you know, done, I think, what people thought it was. So there's sort of an argument against the the monetary way of doing things. And I'll, I'll be fair to the MMT crowd. And I don't think they're wrong, by the way. But yeah, it, it's at some point, at what point does the deficit get so large that I guess you need inflation? Maybe they want, maybe that's part of it. They need inflation to inflate away from the debt. And maybe you could explain that aspect, Spencer, because I think that's an interesting theory too. Well, I mean, the idea being that um, you know you you uh, you have inflation, you have devaluation of the of the currency uh, as a result, and you know that will uh, that will allow you um, basically uh, to uh, uh, to begin to 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 write the to write the ship. Um, you, but you do it through, you know, in order to achieve this, you have to engage in, uh, a broad devaluation, uh, of your own currency, uh, which is what in, in inflation allows you, um, part of the, what inflation allows you to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the idea, right? That if you owe, you know, in today's dollars, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars, right? Let's say you owe $100 in today's dollars and you say, well, wait a second. What if there's 10% inflation, you know, over the next uh, 20 years? Well, inflation adjusted your $100 in 20 years at 10% discount rate goes to 672. So if you only owe $100, but in today's dollars, meaning 20 years later, that same 100 is equal to 672, it looks like it's a lot less. It's like the candy, you know, people say... I went to the movies and 
1930 and walked uphill with no shoes in the snow 20 miles to get there and paid a penny. So, yeah, I mean, that that's part of it that you can, you can inflate away the debt. Um, now, the MMT crowd also says that as long as you control your own currency and you can print your own currency. But I, I will say this, Spencer, you know, one of the things, you know, currencies are valued on a relative basis. So if the whole world is doing this, um, in theory, everyone is is uh, is running up deficits, and I wouldn't say everyone's doing it to the extent of you know the European Union or Japan, certainly. Uh, but that is, that is another theory that you could, on a relative basis, as long as you're not the only country doing this, your your dollars don't devalue. But um, I think we're getting getting a little off topic. With uh, by the way, just uh, as an aside on the universal basic income, um, one of the thoughts was you would do a wealth tax for that. And a wealth tax just means you take somebody's wealth and you tax a percentage of it. Um, I think I pulled this, this must be 2019 numbers. And I think I pulled from somewhere, where did I get this? Might've been Forbes. Um, but the, le- the net worth of all US-based billionaires was just under 3 trillion. So let's call it 3 trillion in 2019. It's probably higher today. So in other words, we could confiscate all of the billionaires' money that they have, and it would it would take care of the other fifty percent, sort of of, of one year, <laughs> of a one year, yeah, th- this year. So for people that want to hang a lot of stuff on the on the folks that, uh, yeah, they have a lot. Look, the people at the very top have an awful lot. Jeff Bezos has an awful lot. All those guys, but. He also employs, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand people. Uh, also creates a lot of opportunity, creates a lot of of of, uh, of tax revenue uh, directly and indirectly. Um, and and those guys, uh, yeah, if, if you were to absolutely eviscerate them, confiscate everything, uh, people have this idea. I think a very misguided idea that it, we we that's the direction to go. Okay. Sure, let's do that. Fine. What are we going to do next year? Yeah, for 2022. <laughs> right. And, 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 yeah. and by the way, uh, you've now pauperized uh, every major corporation in America and 10 of the biggest corporations in the world. Yeah. Well, I'll throw you another one too. Um, in 2019, the free cash flow. So free cash flow for anyone who's not familiar with that, it's kind of if you owned a, a bagel shop, and at the end of the year you you looked in your cash register and that's what you had, that's your your free and clear you know profits, so to speak. I'm dumbing it down, but uh, 1.83 trillion was the 12 months free cash flow. Um, I think sometime in 2019. So you could also confiscate all the the free cash flow, and you would have you know. 20% of 20, 2022's numbers too. But yeah, I, I, I bring this up because I, I do hear sometimes, you know, politicians say a lot of stuff, all politicians. And sure. in my view on politicians is- Keep in mind, most of them are morons. It, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree. I mean, it's, they want to get reelected and they want to stay in office. And for a lot of them, it can be quite lucrative. It is what it is. But <laughs> look- if 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 you can if you can pay fifty million dollars for a Senate seat, 
it must be worth more than that. Oh, and campaign contributions and and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's you should buy an asset for less than you think it's it's worth to get value. But anyway, I bring I bring up the billionaire thing because that's um, there's still there's both the camps that say deficits don't matter, but there's also the camp that say we should do a wealth tax or something. And quite frankly, there's not enough wealth to even do it beyond one year. And you know, here's the other thing: if if the government confiscate, I'm making this up, right? They're not going to confiscate everybody's wealth. But if they confiscate, let's say, Mark Cuban's wealth, guess what they have to do with those assets? You know, Jeff Bezos' stock. They've got to go to the open market and sell that stock. And as you're selling assets, yeah, when you go and you, you have to sell 30 NBA franchises um, and you've got to find buyers and you took away all the billionaires' worth, that's... Anyway, it's you wouldn't actually. My point is, you're not going to get three trillion for it. Well, no, you, yeah, you're going to go to the open market with your. I don't know how much Bezos owns. I think it's like thirty some odd percent of, of Amazon stock. It's a huge chunk uh, to sell his stock. Um, there won't be. Any, don't be surprised if there aren't any bids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's certainly, um, yeah. The idea is supply and demand, right? Yeah. So I think I think if we kind of think about, you know, the reason to do this, this, uh, cause we, we talk about this stuff a lot and you and I said, you know, why don't we just, we'll, we'll make this a podcast. And, uh, I think there's a couple things and we, we bring this back around. Number one is, you know, what do we spend money on? What do we actually bring in? I think a lot of people might be surprised by the numbers. Um, and, and I think the other thing is, the whole idea is, I mean, at least in my mind, if you want to grow revenues, you want to try and grow GDP. Like you want an economy. And it's no secret that when revenues have dipped, it's been around recessions for sure. And I and I think the point of all this too is we don't necessarily take an opinion on, on what the right way, the wrong way. But what I encourage people to do is you know, when you hear politicians or pundits or people like us talking about this stuff, all these numbers are available. I mean, if you go to the St. Louis Reserve uh, site, you can pull up the same numbers I just quoted. Uh, you can search online. U.S. Treasury Direct actually has a page which prints what the average interest rate is. Do your own research. The number, the information is there. You and I are both baseball fans, and one one yes. of the things. Uh, I think that baseball is very numbers driven, but sometimes you have a player that has a big name. Um, I always like to turn around the baseball cards and put my hand over the names and just look at the numbers. <laughs> and the numbers yes. tell you a lot. Yep. They tell you they a do. lot. So people out there, go take a look at the numbers, right? Yep. It's all just just look at just look at the numbers and try and filter out the noise. And the noise would be you know, pretty much anything being said by, you know, a politician, no matter, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're sitting on, they all have an agenda and they're all spending money um, on what they think is important. And that may differ from the fellow sitting across from them uh, or the gal sitting across from them, but they're all spending it one way or the other. Well said. And, we know that if there's one thing politicians we can count on them to do, it's spend money. And deficits only matter when the party that's not yours is in power. 
All right, Spencer. <laughs> Thanks again for coming on, and I hope this uh, this enlightened uh, you know people our discussion. And I'll put in some links in the show notes for sure where everyone can check this stuff out. Thank, thanks for having no. Thanks for having me, Derek. I always love doing these, and uh, you know I, I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on. All right, Spencer. Thanks again. We'll put the the links in the show notes for everybody, and we'll be back next week. See ya.